Brand new episode of What's Good with Greg Meskel. Greg Meskel here with you. Thanks for joining us. Our guest this week, a guy I've known for a long time. He has a new book coming out called Overseas Famous, podcast host, coach Kevin Owens. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Greg. I appreciate it. Uh, Kev, good to, good to catch up with you. Excited for the book. You got the gear on. I've seen it start to really build up that kind of grassroots. We'll dive into to what was a, a really interesting basketball journey for you. But at the top, just kind of tell tell us about about Overseas Famous. What's the book about? And and when uh, hopefully do you think people can can start to check this out? Awesome. So uh, Overseas Famous is uh, probably going to be out. We're we're kind of in the finalities of the publishing. Uh, talks and stuff right now and uh we're going to be closing in on uh actual concrete dates i would say late december early january would be a, a realistic timeline for when it's going to start getting out there uh but the book is uh it was just my journey uh it, it started off because uh i had written so many different things for my publication waiting for go dunk which was something that i started doing when i was still playing uh, i was in estonia and i just started writing random stuff uh, about the ridiculousness of what's going on. And it got picked up a little bit and I started taking those stories. And I was like, I should turn this into a book. I was like, there's like a lot of people who are writing books. I was like, I should, there's so many stories that I have. And I felt like every time I went to a grocery store anywhere, people were like, you're tall, did you play basketball? And it was the same thing. And then I was just telling people different stories about my life and every one of them seemed really interested in what I was saying. And I was like, huh. I was like, I got something here. So I just took them all and put them into a book. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's very me. Um, uh, it's not really, we're, we're kind of branding. It's not really a basketball book. Like if you're going in there to find insight on how to run a matchup zone, it's not going to be in there. It's pretty much like travel. It's my travel. Uh, it's my journey. It's all the places that I've been in the ridiculous absurdity of those countries. So uh, it was a lot of fun to write. It was a lot of fun to kind of like read through and do the editing and stuff with and just, you know, I don't make myself laugh. I like, I, I've got confidence issues. So when I laugh at something I wrote, I'm like, all right, I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, just seeing, and you've shared some of the excerpts on on Instagram and on social media. Um, and it is a very, as, as you described it, a very self-deprecating look, which I think people don't expect, right? If, if, if someone were to see you now and say like, seven foot guy played basketball. I think everyone <laughs> assumes there's just like this confidence of like, I did it at a high level and, and not that you weren't very good at basketball, but where, where'd you get to this place or how did you arrive at this place of, of kind of having some humility about this whole thing? I think that's the biggest thing. That's what's kept me grounded all these years, uh, knowing that uh, while I, I felt, I felt like when I step on the court, the competitive drive is just is, is through the roof. Uh, and I won't let someone beat me. I'm like, I'm better than you at everything. I'm going to rebound this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. There's no way you're going to beat me. Like that competitive drive. And when I walk off the court, uh, I don't know why. Can, I, I feel like, you know, some kind of psychologist can do a study on me because I walk off the court and I'm just like, and like, just to go back to this, like, this, this dork. Uh, because I always said, like, I always, uh, when I watched American Pie, I was like, that, that, that line stuck with me where he's just like, I am a band geek. I just never joined the band. That was me. Like, I just, I'm just a dork. And I ended up being really tall and I ended up, you know, working really hard and becoming a good basketball player. But when I step off the court, I'm just like a, just a dude. And I don't, uh, I don't have this, this bragging uh, about me. 
I do think like, and it's funny because when people come in and they, they kind of talk about basketball, that's when I start getting a little uh, cocky. But when it goes to just daily life, I'm just, I'm just a dude. Like I just, I was good at basketball, but I'm, there's people who are a lot better than me in every other aspect of my life. And I accept that. And I think that's made me grounded, um, made me uh, someone that people can talk to at Wawa uh, two o'clock in the morning and ask me weird stories or ask me to tell weird stories about overseas basketball. So I think that's kind of how I grew into uh, my, my confidence or sometimes lack thereof. So let's, let's kind of go back a bit, a bit towards the beginning, right? You come, you come out of South Jersey, played a pretty strong high school, end up at Monmouth. You're obviously uh, a guy that looks like a basketball player from your high school days. Starting there, what, what sort of, whether you're good or not, and obviously you're good, you're recruited, you go to a Division I program. Even when you're thinking back to 16, 17 years old, what sort of pressure is there to be good at basketball because you look like a guy who plays basketball? It's huge. Uh, it's funny because I actually was a swimmer. Um, my mom was a what was this uh, national champion swimmer at Westchester. Uh, they ended up, you know, Division Two, Division. It was all skewed into one big thing uh, back then. And they actually Westchester won the, the national championship. So she was a has a national championship, you know, ring, and uh, she was a ridiculously good swimmer. Um, and when I started, I was a really good swimmer too. I started getting into swimming and it was fun because, you know, when you're, when you're that age, when you're in high school and you're young high school and like, you know, it's like, you're, you're this horny kid who's just suddenly like there's girls walking around in bathing suits all the time. And you're like, this is the, this is the best, like, this is incredible. Uh, and then you kind of realize that like, okay, you know, there's just the, I didn't like the, uh, I didn't like the, the, the lack of glamour and fame that uh, you know swimmers received. I mean, you back then, back then it was like whatever Spitz or whatever. He was he was a big swimmer. This was before Michael Phelps, and I was kind of like, I'm I'm burned. I don't really like this. Like, I want to be more. I want people to know who I am. So uh, I actually started kind of picking up a basketball playing. Uh, I didn't start. This is a fun fact about me. I didn't start playing, uh, or I didn't start for. Uh, a varsity team. I didn't start for my eighth grade team. Um, I went to freshman, started on the freshman team, then played two years at JV and sporadic varsity minutes. I didn't start for a varsity high school team until my senior year in high school. Wow. And I had a really big year that year, but I think uh, just that was, that was kind of how it all began. I really started as a swimmer and just picked up a basketball and started liking it because uh, I liked the swimming early. It was all about girls. My entire life has been about trying to impress uh, the opposite sex. And it's crazy because, you know, swimming, and then I went into basketball, and I was like, huh. I was like, there's a lot of people at these basketball games watching, like, my brother and stuff. And I'm like, I want them to watch me. So I just kind of was like, all right, well, I'm going to play basketball. And I just started really working on it. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. So that's, it's, a, it's an odd story, but, yeah. It's an honest story. Did you, because I've, I've dealt with a ton of people in aquatics and a lot of swimmers talk about the solitary nature of it. And it's not, you're on a team. You're not really on a team. Mm -hmm. uh, you're very much in your own head for hours at a time. If you're just swimming laps, right? It's just, it's just you and the black line on the bottom of the pool. How much did you enjoy kind of the camaraderie that comes with being on the court with people? Oh, I love that. Uh, I was always a kind of a team guy. Uh, I did like, you know, the, the, uh, me against the world, but I always liked 
uh, I had a thing about just trying to impress. Uh, so when I was on a relay or something with swimming, that would be, I would be more intense on a relay because I knew there was other people relying on me. Um, when I got on the basketball court, I started realizing there's other people relying on me. You need to give it your all. You need to do this uh, because if you don't, you're just going to end up stuck. And uh, I just was always wanted to make sure that I was always impressing people. Um, so that was a big thing with basketball, trying to make sure my teammates were always happy with my performance. And I, I did it a lot of times. I did basketball, not for myself, but for the other guys on the floor and for the other people in my life who uh, were happy that I was playing basketball. So it was an odd thing. I, it wasn't until I started really getting good, um, maybe college and then starting to play professionally that I was like, oh, I'm doing this for me. Like, this is like, I'm, I did this. Like, I'm doing this for me. Interesting. So as you're even progressing through Monmouth, is it is basketball not a thing that you necessarily love as much as it is you're trying to please some other people? Yeah, it was. Uh, th those early days, I definitely think when I first got to Monmouth, uh, I knew that uh, the big thing, I, it was always my brother. My brother played at Penn. Um, he was played at Eustis, which is the rival to Canley Catholic across the way. Uh, and I used to watch him and the successes he had. And I kind of wanted to emulate those because I feel like everyone was like, whoa, look at all this attention he's getting. So I was like, well, I want some of that attention. Uh, so there was a whole thing about me trying to kind of gain that attention of other people and playing basketball. When I started with Monmouth, it was kind of the same thing. Um, when I really got started getting good and I was like, okay, well, I'm starting now on a division one team. That's when I started kind of being like, okay, like I want to impress my teammates, but you know, I want at the end of the day, to walk away from Monmouth and be a thousand point scorer. And I want to be uh, one of the best players to ever leave here. And that motivated me to be better and better each day. And I think that's what drove me into professional basketball because I, while I love basketball, uh, there was a time when it was like a, it was a relationship that you sometimes loved, that you sometimes hated. Uh, when I started playing professionally, that's when I was like, really, you, I love it. I love this game and it took me a while to get there but I love that game or else I wouldn't have done a job where I'm actually you know getting paid to play this. I think so many of us can look back at college and whether you play basketball or do whatever and think like man I wish I knew this then or I wish I had uh, applied the appropriate work ethic or I you know expended my energy in the right direction as you think back on your on your college time now is there, is there a thing or things when it comes to basketball that you think like, oh, I wish I did this or I knew that then? Oh, absolutely. I think that's in any aspect of life. Um, but I do think, I look back in college and I'm just like, okay, you know, went to the tournament. Uh, we could have done more. Uh, I could have done more. I could have, you know, I didn't, I don't think I realized how good I was um, until I started playing professionally. And it was just something, like I said, that lack of confidence, but I didn't realize like how incredibly good I became. Uh, and I didn't, so I feel like if I could go back and just tell myself that in college and be like, dude, you were really good. You should, you should have been scoring this many. You should have been doing this. You should have been doing this. And it's something that you can't, you know, it's, it made me better in the future, uh, but definitely something I would want to change kind of going back into Monmouth and uh, having that opportunity to kind of say, you know, you could do more. I remember seeing you play after school, either it was it was in a G League game or JSBL or something like that. And we all, you know, obviously fill out differently at different times, right? So yep. I'm curious, I remember seeing you play and thinking like, if, if, if we could insert this dude 
Yeah. Um, on the team, even two years ago. Yeah. Un, un, just crushing people, unstoppable. Not that you weren't very good, especially yeah. junior, senior year, right? But did you have that same feeling of like, man, like now I'm like, I know what to do. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the journey that, that uh, you take, especially going to professional sports. And I think uh, not to knock Monmouth because it was an incredible experience. I loved it there. Uh, but we were a smaller Division One school. So we had, you know, two strength coaches, three strength coaches for the entire sports program. Um, you know, so I didn't really know how to lift properly. I didn't know what I was doing uh, in the weight room. I didn't know. And I think the, the strength that I gained uh, once I started playing professionally and actually had, you know, guys who played in the NBA, like here, do this, do this. And every day we would leave practice and, you know, I'd have Mike Brown and Chucky Brown and guys like that just being like, here, this is what we're doing today. And I just lift it and I'd be like, I got so much stronger. I got so much quicker. And it was something that I didn't know how to do. Uh, and that's when you kind of talk about going back. That was something that I really wish I, I took lifting more seriously because I just didn't know enough about it. Uh, it was a, it was lifting back then wasn't even a big thing. I mean, now kids are lifting in fourth grade. Uh, but like back then, you just I didn't lift really weights until I got to college and I didn't know what I was doing. And then I got to pro and I really found out how to do it and make what works for my body. Um, and that's something that, that, that has taken me uh, far in my professional career because I learned, but I always think about that. I'm like, oh, if I was like, it's crazy because this is so weird, but um, I have all my jerseys from like when I played, I have a mammoth jersey. Uh, if they ever ask, come asking for it, this conversation never happened. But like, <laughs> so I have my mammoth jersey and I put it on like when I was playing, uh, still playing professionally and I was a lot stronger. And I was like, oh my gosh, look what I look like in this jersey. I was like, I, could you imagine if I, these are the guys that I would be scared to play. You're like, oh my God, this guy's enormous. And I'm this skinny kid. And it's crazy to kind of think like, wow, you could have looked like that if you knew what you were doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally hear you. As someone who like aspired to even make like the JV high school basketball team <laughs> and was in terrible shape in high school and college, you don't realize until you're, I'm like, man, like it seems so simple now that you figure out like some discipline and some work ethic and stuff like that. Yeah. So I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. You end up in, in what, the, what at the time was called the developmental league. Now it's the G mm -hmm. league. And, and you had shared a, a recent excerpt on this. And I, I thought it was so well said because now the G league, look, it's not the NBA, but the, the uh, appreciation for it, the feeling about it is so different mm -hmm. than probably the first couple of years when you played. Now people, there are, there's a team set up now, um, for just straight from high school to kind of G league athletes. So they just bypass the whole college system. The yep. games are covered, uh, on TV. You see them on ESPN, that sort of thing. When you're coming on board with Roanoke Dazzle, just give us a sense of like, what, what was the perception of the developmental league at that time? I don't think there really was. I think, uh, no one knew what it was. I kind of described it as, um, you know, we weren't college guys. We weren't NBA guys. We were just like somewhere in between that zone. Uh, we didn't really, no one really knew anything about us. College teams, we played Maryland and uh, the preseason of my first year of my rookie year, which is the reason that I actually got a contract because I played very well that game. Uh, but it was one of those things where no one knew uh, who we were. Uh, we were so, it was the second or third year of the D League at the time when I joined in. And really no one knew what the D-League was. Uh, they didn't realize that 
They just thought we were like a semi-pro team of guys who had like regular jobs and stuff. They didn't realize that we were, I have Mikey Moore and Corey Alexander and Matt Carroll, guys who, uh, you know, are NBA players who end up going in back and forth from the NBA. Uh, but they just didn't realize that. So when we went out and smoked Maryland, they were like, I feel like a lot of people it just kind of, whoa, shit, like these guys are good. Like this is not a college team. Uh, these guys are real, the real deal. So uh, that was something that I think just people didn't know about it. I think it was so new. Uh, and it was just the, it was so different and just people assume that we were just like a nine to five guys coming in, working regular jobs and coming in at night and, you know, trying to play Maryland. They're like, what are these guys? And we're like, here's what we are. <laughs> and today the lines are so much more clearly drawn, right? So many of these G League teams are, are clearly affiliated with an NBA team. Yep. There's a, there's a shuttling system of two-way players, that sort of thing. Back then it wasn't as clearly defined, you know, you could have guys that eventually get signed and maybe you went through this. Previously, if you went to like an N1 camp or the ABCD camp or something where you're kind of on a, a talented team, but you're also trying to show what you can do when you're when you're in this uh, D-League situation with the Dazzle, how do you balance that? You want to be part of a team that is successful, but you're also here to say like, I'm better than this. Like people come and see me and hire me for a better job. Exactly. Well, that was the thing. Uh, my coach, Ken Davison, was uh, one of the premier coaches uh, that I ever had. I've had some really good coaches over time. And KD was one of, you know, top of that list uh, in terms of like how he taught me uh, how to both be a professional and uh, exactly what the, the piece of advice that he gave us is, is most important, which was uh, he's like, guys, you're playing the D League right now. Like, if you were going to go out and you're not going to go to an NBA team. If they pick you up, you're not going to an NBA team and dropping 30. Like they have a bunch of guys who can do that. You are going to the NBA team and you're doing one thing very well. So what is that one thing going to do? So you need to find that thing. Those, those few things that you, you have to excel at everything, but you have to find that one thing that you do better than anyone else. And that's, what's going to get you in the NBA. So I took that as rebounding. And I said, I'm going to rebound every single ball that came my way. And that's why I was, you know, and I said, I'm going to defend as hard as I can. I watched Rodman growing up and stuff. So I was like, I'm going to be a defensive player and I'm going to be a rebounder and I'm going to dominate those two aspects of my game. And that's why I, I looked at the stat and I was like top, like 20 all time uh, defender in D league history. And I was like, Whoa, I was like, how is that possible? Again, confidence. But uh, it was one of those things where I, at that time, I, I was like, no, like you're not scoring against me. I'm going to get every rebounder. I was, so I walked away from the D-League, one of the best rebounders and defenders in the history. And I thought that was super cool uh, because I'm not the guy who's going to go out and drop 30, but I was the guy who's going to do those little things extremely well. And uh, that's what the D-League was to me. That's what um, it became. It became that uh, you have to be, always be ready. You can't just ever show up for game half-assed. You have to be pushing it, and you have to get every single of those things you do well have to be perfect every single game. And I think that's uh, what I think the D-League is. And I think when you look at the D-League now, you have guys, you see how talented there are. Guys, I mean, Fred Van Fleet was playing in the D-League or G-League, and then he goes on, and now he's like a, you know, a, a top player in the NBA, and it's crazy because people don't understand the, the minuscule difference between a guy who's playing in a D-League team or a G-League team and a guy who's playing, uh, who's on the end of the bench. It's, it's, the, the, the line is so skewed uh, that it could be any one of us. 
So I could have been a guy sitting in a 10-year NBA career playing on the bench, coming in sporadically and rebounding. Uh, if, you know, I, someone saw me at the right time or this or this or this. So that's kind of how the D league works. So close. You're so close. And yet, you know, so far. Was, was that the appeal to doing that right out of college and not trying to go to Europe or somewhere else right, right out of the gate, the, the allure of the NBA? Oh yeah. I thought they, you know, trying to get in the NBA was the, was the primary goal. So, um, you kind of, I came out of college. And I had this opportunity to go to exposure camp. I played there. Once I got done with the exposure camp, the D league was like, we want you to enter the draft. I didn't think I was going to get drafted, played really well in training camp, the Maryland game got drafted. And then I go to the D league and it's like, you know, that was like, you're like, Oh my God, I'm so close to the NBA. And that first year was kind of like just me figuring that out. And then the second year I go and I'm like, I'm like, that was, I was, I was right there. There was, you know, workouts and stuff that I was in. And I was like, okay, I'm, this is my chance. And it just never ended up coming to fruition, uh, everything that I wanted. But uh, that's when I was just like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go overseas, went to Poland, money dried up, uh, frustrating situation. I was like, this is what overseas is like. I'm going back to the D League, went back there. And then I found the right situation from that on uh, overseas. This is, I'm sure, a thing you've turned over in your mind a couple hundred times so so hopefully not something uh, negative to think back on but when you talk about being within that razor thin margin of the nba is there a moment or an event where you're like if that if this workout if that thing goes differently that's that's maybe my my way in yeah uh it's funny because my i think there are some things and i've talked to my agent he was on my show and i like we talked about this and it was funny uh, and I, I really try to go back through and I'm just like, no regrets, like uh, everything that I did. Uh, I think I excelled the expectations that I had for myself in my mind. So when I go back, I'm like, yeah, there's things like that. Uh, but the one thing that I think of is uh, my agent came and watched me play. We were playing in a showcase. Um, all the NBA teams were there uh, watching us because it was during the all-star break, I think, for the NBA. And we played in like the city that, you know, right off the cusp of where the all-star game was playing and every NBA scout was there. A lot of GMs were there, a lot of coaches and I played very well. And my agent came up to me after the game. He's like, you got really, really good. And I remember being like, thanks. And then like walking away being like, shouldn't you have known that? Like now I'm like, wait, have you not been shopping me? Have like, is this the first time some of these guys are hearing about me and now they need more information? Like, I feel like if I was being shopped really well and like I was out there and guys knew exactly who I was and he, he was really pushing me, that would have gotten me. Those guys would have called me like, here's a 10-day contract. Because I think I was excelled uh, in that during that time period. And it was the second year there. I was like, Ugh. like when he was just like, you got really good. I was like, oh, and I knew that already. Yeah. Yeah. That's something you should, you should be knowing and telling others at this point. Exactly. <laughs> Um, when you've done these workouts and, and I, and I, and I think I've heard you tell a story, maybe going up against like Reggie Evans in a workout oh, or something yeah. like that, but just the, the tenacity of that, of that NBA guy. And, 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 mm -hmm. and, and, and as you said, right, a ball bounces a different way. You're, you're that guy too. But, but when you go up against what is that elite level guy, what, what is that experience like? Well, it's crazy because I think a lot of the workouts that you do, you end up doing that I end up doing over my career with like in the NBA uh, cusp uh, were against guys like me. 
Uh, they weren't, I wasn't, you know, it's not until you really get into training camp that you start playing against NBA players who you've heard of. Uh, a lot of times you're playing against college guys and guys like you. So those workouts are different. Um, they hit you different because you're competing against guys that you've already competed against. The level's kind of like the same as you're used to. Uh, and it is crazy because then you go into the NBA and the, uh, guys like, uh, you know, I played against Reggie Evans when I was with the Sixers. And that was, it was just intense. Like, you know, he, an NBA player who excels like I wanted to with defense and, um, you know, rebounding. Uh, not only that, but he was, you know, he's, he's a top player. He was a starter for an NBA team. He was one of the better defenders in the league. Uh, and you go against a guy like that and you're like, whoa, like this is, this is, this is more intense than I'm used to, to the point where you're just like kind of getting your bearings. But those, those samples of that they have of you are so small that I was like, if I just kind of had a few more, uh, you know, another week or another few days to kind of like, you know, prove myself, I would have adjusted. Uh, but those small samples where you're just in there and you're like, whoa, okay, okay. Like it's like getting thrown in with lions and being like, okay, now I have to kill all these lions and you kind of figure out like how to manage it. And then it's like, okay, see you later. And you're like, wait, I figured it out now, but like, it's too late. So uh, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing, you know, the, the intensity level that these guys have is so high. And those those Reggie Evans, uh, those tough defenders, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that probably played against guys that really didn't care much about defense as much and, you know, could have just excelled on offense and raised heads because no one, like, you're in the NBA, like, you, no one's going to be like, oh, this guy, let's bring him in and just sit there and defend this kid. Like, they're like, you need to be able to do it. You have to impress us. And uh, that's tough when you're kind of going against one of the best defensive players in the league. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny because I think so many people, especially those that uh, have never played basketball at a high level or any sport, they'll be watching game on TV. And, and, and I can remember thinking this as a kid, you'd see the 12th guy on the bench for the Knicks or the Sixers and think like, terrible, like, like yeah. why, why is this guy getting in the game? And then yeah. as you get older, you realize like that 12th guy would wear out every person you've ever met. Like they would crush Everyone. all of them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 100% factual. Uh, everyone who's on an NBA roster is there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, guys who are playing professionally are there for a reason. I think even just the overseas aspect, a lot of guys are like, well, I could play overseas basketball. Like there's, I've, I've talked to a ton of people who are just like, yeah, I probably could have played overseas basketball. I'm like, well, no, you couldn't. Like you couldn't play overseas. It is, it is, it, you're, you're talking about professional sports. Uh, you know, 450 guys making the NBA. Uh, you have two import spots a lot of these countries overseas, but like, you know, they, there's there's only so many slots overseas too. You're only talking maybe like maybe under a thousand slots that, of like Americans, uh, you know, all over the world. Uh, so you're talking about like at, at one time you need to be one of the maybe top 1,000 players in the world, like in hands down in the world, you have to be the top 1,000 players in the world to play professional basketball. And that's something where you kind of look and you're like, all right, there's like 8 billion people in the world. And one time I was one of those top thousand uh, to play. And that's kind of like how, uh, how difficult it is to play. And I think young people don't understand how difficult it is to play professional sports. And it was a grind. Everyone's good. Everyone's good. The last playing bench, unbelievable. When you think of someone who has played multiple seasons and you see this happen, not just in the NBA, but, but in European and Australian leagues, wherever you might go, 
where they're kind of cruising along and they've kind of carved out a little seven or eight year season. And then they're just gone. Like they yeah. just don't, you don't see them again. They can't, they can't make a team. They're not that old, you know, yeah. early, early thirties. And then we know about the ones that are, you know, the freaks of nature, the LeBrons, right. They can play yeah. 45 yeah. or Vince Carter, but, but for every person that was kind of cruising along at seven years, eight years, what in your mind is the, is the thing that kind of causes that drop off? Is it age work ethic? Is there a common thing? I just think there's just, it's just age. I think uh, you could be, you know, once you hit that, I don't think it's like when you're 30 and above, you're starting to kind of decline and your age, just nature just will take its course and your body starts not being as quick. Uh, and, you know, you really have to maintain. It. And the, the, the thing is, there's every single year, there's thousands of new recruits out there so you're not only competing against the guys that you're playing against and like you know the the guys who are your age and the guys who already have contracts now you're competing every year against thousands more that just get up upheaved into this whole thing and then the next year thousands more and you're constantly battling for your life and for your job and uh that's why overseas basketball is so tough because you, there's very rarely do you get a contract that's longer than a year uh because they know that there's the turnover is so big and these, these young kids are coming and they're so hungry and you have to just to be an older player. I mean, it's crazy in the NBA to be an older player and to continue playing. I look at anyone uh, like guys who are 35 years old and still grinding in the NBA. Those guys are working their butts off and they are just, they might be at the end of the bench now, but man, they are unbelievable because they're fighting off guys left and right. So you head abroad and, and, and you've had stops all over the world, right? Australia, South Korea, New Zealand, you mentioned Estonia, different, different places. Um, is, is there a favorite? Is there, is there one of these spots where you felt most at home and most uh, on a, on a team that kind of you, you liked what they were doing and they appreciated your skills? Oh yeah. Australia was uh, incredible. I mean, not only was it, you're just living in paradise. I lived in Cairns, which is like the equivalent of Miami. Um, it's, beautiful the weather's perfect um it's nice every single day um you live on the water uh i lived on a golf course it was like it was perfect but on top of that the basketball was incredible uh you you're playing in a league uh which produces andrew bogut and patty mills and uh you know a lot of these these you know even like the jonathan simmons ben simmons dad would play there for a long time uh, you got a lot of talent there. <clears throat> so when these guys are, are, when you play in this league, you know how competitive it is. Uh, the crowds were packed. Every single game was like a sellout. Uh, you're playing in front of packed houses. You're looking around. Uh, you walk through the streets. People are know who you are, chasing you around, being like, oh, my gosh, like, you're, you're this, you're this, you're this. Uh, it was a very celebrity status. Um, everyone, and it was like, you know, you talk about the end, end of the bench NBA guy. Uh, they, some people know who they are, but like, they know the LeBrons, they're chasing the Dirks, they're chasing the, the, the Lucas and the, uh, you know, Carmelo's and guys like that. When you're over in Australia, you were that. So everyone's chasing you. So you became that star player and everyone knew who you were. So it was super awesome. Uh, not only that, the teammates, obviously speaking English was a big thing, um, you were able to have whole conversations. I played in a lot of places where I might've said one word to <laughs> one of the younger guys on our team because they didn't speak English. And I was like, um, like they were just, we were just 
wave at each other. And that, that was our relationship for 10 months. Uh, in Australia, you, everyone was close. We had a great group of guys. Um, even the other teams had great groups of guys. You go, we, I played in the All-Star game out there. We had a great time on All-Star weekend. You know, you, you meet so many people and it was, it was a perfect experience. And um, I wish I, I didn't, well, like you said, going back in time, uh, South Korea, I, it was more money. It was a, a lot more money, but I wish I just kind of stuck with Australia because I had some contracts I I turned down to go to Korea, and uh, you know, it was it was something that I just wish I stayed in Australia the whole time. And conversely, and and you mentioned during the Dazzle career, trying to go abroad, not getting paid, coming back, but but post that, when you're when you're, when you're now full time kind of international player. What's the what's the worst experience? Was there one of these stops where you're like, this was a bad idea? Yeah. Uh, so Korea, South Korea, I I was not a fan of just because, uh, and it's tough because you kind of sound like to make the money you got to suffer a little bit. And uh, I didn't find out later till that other guys had were making the money and had incredible situations uh, on teams in South Korea, just not ours. Ours was uh, it was like you're in the military. I uh, lived on a compound. Um, you couldn't leave. You didn't have a car. Uh, they they tried to they wanted me to be another kind of player because they wanted me to be like a you know a guard and go and dunk over people. And I was like, that's not my style. Like I'll go out and do everything that you need to, but it's not going to be as flashy. I'm not. That's just not me. But I'll still put up the stats. And I think that was something that they tried to turn me into. And just the workouts, and it ended up uh, destroying my knee. I hurt my knee real bad out there, and uh, I was never the same player after that, and they just sent me home. Never took care of it, never paid for it. I paid for my surgery. I paid for, like, uh, my rehab. I paid for everything on my own because they were just like, see ya. Never happened. Didn't ha and I, it was just a frustrating experience. So that was, like, the worst in terms of just, like, how I was treated. Uh, Kosovo was crazy, but I actually loved Kosovo. <laughs> It was the craziest place, like just the crazy stories that I had pretty much fill up the book. Um, but at the same time, the people were, it was just crazy. It was just, it was scary. It was weird. But like looking back, I was like, that was, that was awesome. It was nuts. Yeah. When you're signing up to go to some of these places, are your family and friends like, whoa, whoa, is there, yeah. is there something else available? They're, with Kosovo, they're like, where? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know. I like, like I had to look at a map. I'm like, where am I going? Like most of the place, I think Estonia was like that too. Not that my geography is that bad, but I was like, where's Estonia? I've heard of it before, but where? Um, but, you know, the, yeah, there's, there's, there's places where people are like, oh, that should be fun. Like Australia, everyone was like, dude, it's so cool. Yeah. New Zealand was the same thing. Like people were like, oh, that's on my bucket list. But some of those weird countries, like I had a contract with Syria that I ended up not, uh, not doing at the last minute. Um, and because there was a lot of like upheaval and stuff at that time. And uh, those were the kind of situations where, you know, the family was just like, wait, are you sure this is worth it? Like it's good money, but like, are you sure? And I've heard a lot of horror stories from guys who, you know, like dangerous situations that they're in when they're over in some of those Middle Eastern countries. So definitely my family was concerned, some of them, but they were also super jealous of it, please. Um, you mentioned the injury. Were, were you able to kind of get get back to a place where you felt pretty pretty good about how you were playing when you think about Kosovo, Estonia? I do. Um, I just was never the pain. Um, I had just was dealing with issues. I was I was taking like you know taking painkillers just to try to 
numbed the pain of my knee and just doing that i feel like it was hurting like my inside of my body i was like kidneys and stuff my doctor's like dude you need to like figure out what you want to do because this is not good for what you're doing um but just the knee was never the same again um it, it just it's still pretty painful now but just uh it it, it hyperextended tore some stuff um you know bone bruised and like ripped out a lot of the cartilage um that kind of deteriorated away and now i'm just kind of stuck so i have to get it like reconstructed but i just kind of don't feel like dealing with the the hang off of that so i'm just like eh, whatever but yeah that was uh that was very frustrating to kind of go through that and that's why i just have so much bad blood with south korea because i didn't like how they treated me and then at the same time to go through all that and me pay for my injury that was sustained under contract they were supposed to take care of and they just kind of just said like nope never happened i'm like well unfortunately we live in the real world and they did but <laughs> yeah. you know it's my word against yours apparently even though there's documentation of like here's what my knee looks like they're like nope sorry i'm like all right whatever yeah brutal brutal um you had you talked about kind of being able to come back and play and then um and then maybe this is where that Syria contract had 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 kind of come up. But but when did you get to a point where you just said like, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and play anymore? And how did you get to that decision comfortably? I think uh, I said always said to myself, I'm gonna keep going until I no longer uh, feel like I'm at the top of my game. And I feel like when I was in Estonia, when I was in New Zealand, I felt like I could still rebound real well. My knee hurt. I wasn't as mobile as I used to be. Um, but I was still able to rebound. I still feel like that I was still able to go Kosovo, same thing, but it was like each, each year brought more pain, more uh, difficulty moving. Um, and then I kind of got into Estonia and honestly, I just, I couldn't really move. Um, I was able to like jump off my one leg. And when I did that, I could, I could like jump really high when I was going off too. It was just not the same. So uh, I kind of just lost that love. Like, I was like, this is not fun anymore. You know, when you start kind of thinking about having children, uh, you're like, I can't, I could never uh, walk away from um, basketball and just be like, or I could never walk away from my child and just be like, okay, I'm going to go play over here for a year. I'd be like, that's just not me. I'm too hands-on as a dad. Uh, just being a dad means way too much to me. So uh, that was something where I was like, if I'm going to start having a family, um, I can't just be disappearing uh, and and just playing, just trying to grind it out to make some more money and to, to prolong my career. So I was kind of like, at, at Estonia, I knew. Uh, I walked off the court after our final playoff game. Uh, we won the consolation game for the, the league uh, to finish third place. And I walked off and I remember just being like, that's it. You are never going to play professional basketball again. And that was it. I knew it. I knew it then. And I it was not even like a question. I knew it and I was like, see it, I'm down. And, and even, even a year or two years later, you felt, you felt good about that? I did. I mean, I, you always want to, you always wish like, you know, I wish I have dreams still that I'm like still playing professionally. I think that's still there. And then I just try to run and I'm like, nope, <laughs> just kidding. That's not happening. Yeah, um, I, I can yeah, imagine right with the knee and everything. So where, Obviously, basketball is still important to you, right? I mean, you're writing a book yeah. about it. You've written a book about it. But um, where does where does your relationship with the game sit now? I love it. Uh, it's it's. I realize. I think writing the book. Um, you know, I, I coach. I coach the game, and I love coaching the game and teaching it. Uh, but I think writing the book brought me back 
attitude that, that reinvigorated me on my love for the game. Um, just because I was just reliving those stories and the experiences that I had. And uh, it just made me realize how, how blessed I was and how incredible an opportunity I had. And I think that's what a lot of guys I talk to say. Yeah, it's, it's funny to think like, wow, I've traveled the world. I've been to every single continent pretty much like just playing a game, you know, bounced around to all these countries. I saw so many things. I toured. Uh, I was able to see things that people only dream about. And I did it because I played basketball. And I think that was a big thing that kind of was just like made me proud and made me like reinvigorate my love for the game. Just uh, reliving these stories, writing the book. No, it's great that you're able to kind of come come to a place where you, you know, even even though it didn't it didn't end probably the way that you would have wanted it, right? You're able to still kind of come to a place where you have appreciation for all that you've been through. Yeah, I do. I, uh, I really do. I feel like I... I, I'm proud of uh, the things that I've done. I'm very grateful for the people who pushed me and 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 took me there. And uh, those are things you did. Like I said, like when you're a kid, you don't realize that when your your parents are like, "Go outside and shoot," you're like, like and then you're just kind of like, "Oh, I understand why they did it now." And you know, you you kind of it's it makes you appreciate those people. I've reached out to a lot of people who've helped me along the way. Um, it's kind of had me, you know. Uh, kind of reflect on 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 those things and those good times. I'm, I'm sure there's no shortage of these in the book, but is there is there an all-time story or like a classic only only playing abroad basketball moment that just always kind of comes to mind every few months? Oh yeah. Uh, the when I was in Kosovo, like I said, it was absolutely nuts. Um, you're kind of playing the Balkan region. Those guys are just like intense. So the fans uh, they just, the fan groups were just like normal guys. And when you, the game started, they became like homicidal maniacs. Like they, they were like literally knives and stuff, guns and, you know, like weaponry. And they were coming to games and they were all fired up. And, and we played one game and the fans were firing flares. They have all these flares and they're firing flares in these two balconies on either side of the court. And they're just firing flares at each other. Now, obviously a uh, 94 foot court, um, you think about like a, home plates what 90 how far is home plate is that like 60 feet okay 60 feet so like you know flare's not as heavy as a baseball so when you fire at 94 feet uh chances are it's not going to reach its intended target especially when you're when you're one of those guys who throw it really high and it just hits the rafters and comes right down so they're firing flares and they all end up ended up on the court just like bouncing and i i remember the the one thing that was just really stuck with me was one of my teammates who was our captain just kind of nonchalantly like kick the flare away and we're like continue playing the game and i'm like meanwhile i'm like someone called like the police like what is going on like everyone run hide and they're just like go play defense and you're like what is happening and like that was like one of those things where i remember his face so vividly um just him just like so nonchalant like whatever let's go let's play and you're just like all right like this is crazy i can't believe there's flares all around me and i'm kicking them off the court and then I end up kicking them off the court because I'm just like all right I guess this is what we're doing. The passion in in some other countries for kind of those local club teams is just people in the U.S. don't don't really have a sense they think that people like Alabama football or Duke basketball <laughs> and they have not seen what the local fans will do for their club team in country x. Oh yeah seriously yeah the people in Paya uh, uh, in Kosovo yeah, Oklahoma's got nothing on them. They're like, well, I'll sit like, I'll use my team. No, man, like, trust me. 
when you go there like they're straight up they will kill you for like in the same thing like it's like a story like eagles fans are like oh my gosh they punch someone in the game it's like that happens like at least 16 times in a regular season game over there you're just (laughs) like oh like that's fandom so it's it's crazy to kind of see uh the difference between fans here and fans there you you know you mentioned your knees still still kind of give you some pain so have you not played basketball in a while no, like I'll run with the guys uh, on the high school team that I'm coaching with. Um, I'll run up and down with them, and they're pretty good uh, just to kind of stay in shape. But in terms of like real, uh, like really playing competitive games, like it just hasn't happened. I just can't. Uh, people ask me, they're like, hey, come play, uh, you know, come play pickup. And it's like one of those things where like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Because if you go there and I go out and just like dunk on people and hit threes and just like play and dominate, they're like, Ooh, yeah, like who invited this guy? And then if you go out and just take it easy and just like try to get up and down the court just to get myself in physical good shape, uh, they're like, why are you not doing this? And you're like, oh my gosh. So it's just like, <laughs> there's no, there's like trying to find that balance. I was like, this is too stressful. Like, whatever, I'm good. Like I, I, I played my game. So I feel like that's like one of those things where I'm just like, I'm good. Like if you saw me play, I was good. Like, don't worry about me now. I'm good. Yeah, that, that that is a thing. You know, I've talked to a few a few athletes that that did things at an elite level, and uh, when they're retired, it's a, it's a very specific game that they're willing to get involved with. Yeah, because like you said, it is exactly that. They go out and they play against an average person and destroy them, and what fun is that? Yeah. Or if they try and roll it back, they look. People think, oh, they stink. They don't got it. And it's like you don't know. Like they're yeah, they're they're taking it easy for a reason here. Yeah. Um, couple of random ones here as we as we wrap up um last time you dunked a basketball yesterday yesterday weirdly enough uh yeah yesterday memory of your first dunk on a 10-foot hoop was that a crowning achievement an average thing what do you recall the first one i remember was i i don't remember the first dunk i ever did like probably it was in my backyard uh i don't think if they pulled the tape measure out like they didn't hoosiers if it was going to measure up to 10 feet uh, but it was definitely the first one I had in the game. I remember versus Woodrow Wilson. Uh, I remember dunking as a junior in the first high school game. Uh, dumbest thing someone's ever said to you about your height? Um, oh my God, I, I, this will be my second book. Jesus, I like feel like there's been so <laughs> many. Uh, the what the craziest thing is my brother played with me in Roanoke my first year, um, and then there was a guy, Josh Aslin, who went to Michigan. Um, seven, we were all about seven feet tall, all white dudes, I guess, dark hair. Um, and the guy walked up to us and dead serious was like, y'all twins to the three of us. I was like, (laughs) I was like, I don't think you're working with all of it up there, bud. So that was the craziest, weirdest thing I've ever been asked. And why is it? And only because I know you've had to process these questions more than the average person. Why do people feel so comfortable just commenting on someone's height and asking you any myriad of questions? I have no idea. I, I've been wondering that. It's the only thing. I guess they think you're cool with it because I think they look at you as like, whoa, you're awesome. At least I, that's what I assume. Like, you're awesome. You're tall. Because I don't think, like, when are they going to walk up to, like, you know, someone who's short and be like, hey, down there, like, what's, you know, what's going on? Or like an overweight person and be like, how much do you weigh? Like people, there's like, I'm just like, why do you think it's okay to approach me at Wegmans at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon and just like start engaging me and like talk to me about my height? I guess, the, and I think it's just because people think it's cool. 
that's the story that I tell myself to uh, fall asleep at night. If people think that I'm cool, that's why they approach me. That I look approachable, which I don't, but uh, I look approachable and that's what they think. I mean, I do think it's that's that's probably it. It also, I think, whether you know it or not, helps that you played basketball. Yeah. I have a distant cousin that's very tall and didn't <laughs> and never played. And that might be a worse curse to be huh. six, eight, six, nine, seven feet and not have played basketball or volleyball. I, I think people, their heads explode. They don't know how to process your existence on earth. It's true. Like, even if I went down a swimming route and I was like Mike, like Michael Phelps, people would still be like, if they didn't recognize, do you play basketball? I'd be like, no. I, and then it becomes like a whole new story that I have to tell. Like, <laughs> it's a whole nother jump off before I can transition to why I was successful. It's like this like little transition. No, I didn't because when I was a kid, my mom, and I'm like, oh. So, like, I feel like just being like, yeah. I did. Here's where. See you later. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Uh, we close all these out with the same three. What's good questions? I'll start first, Kev. What's something you've done for you lately? Um, I think uh, there's a like the book has obviously been for me. Uh, writing it, uh, taking the time and doing that thing where it's it's my personal thing. It's my adventure and uh, really writing that. That was for me. I did a lot of that just to, to relive those. I did a lot of that to get it down. I did a lot of that because I wanted to kind of still be remembered for something uh, other than, you know, the forgotten overseas basketball player. And then what's uh, something you've done for someone else recently? Uh, the one thing, and I feel like this is, this is a, like a cop-out, but I feel like um, with basketball, I feel like I've uh, volunteered a lot of my time uh, recently with basketball, trying to teach uh, the game to, to people. Uh, trying to volunteer with like high school athletics and, and volunteer my time. So I feel like I've done a lot of, I've spent a lot of my time teaching uh, without like the reward of, you know, getting money or economically, you know, gains. Uh, so that's a lot of it. I mean, you're coaching my daughter's team and stuff like that. You're not getting paid for that. But that, those are things that I did because I wanted her to uh, have the same experiences and opportunities that I did. And then uh, what's what's something you kind of turn to for a laugh to kind of unplug from everything else? Shit's Creek. Um, oh, it's great. Great show. Like, honestly, it's weird because uh, I think I think it's so well done. I think uh, the cast is perfect. I think like the story is incredible. I mean, it's just it was just so well done that uh, it, it, and whatever whenever I need a laugh, that's what I put on. Like I, did, I was sitting there the other day and I was like, OK, there's nothing on for some reason when I want to eat. I like feel like I have to watch something. Uh, so if I'm like coming back late and I'm like eating and I'm by myself and I'll sit there and turn on the TV and there's nothing on, I'm like, beep, shit's creek. And then I just like <laughs> pick an episode and watch it because it's just instant fun. Uh, so is. that's something that I've been doing to make me laugh. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, excited to read Overseas Famous when it comes out. Uh, people want to kind of follow, listen to your podcast, all that sort of good stuff. What's the, what's the best way to kind of keep in touch with what you're doing? Uh, look up overseas famous. I guess Google it. Um, uh, all the all the the tags and stuff we have are like overseas famous pod, overseas famous on Instagram. Uh, so if you just Google overseas famous, all our stuff should pop up. If it doesn't, I'll call to Google. But like uh, like overseas famous on Instagram um, is probably the best way to reach us because that has access to the podcast, to the clothing, um, to the book, and everything like that. Awesome. Uh, well, well, best of luck with the book. Uh, always good to catch up with you and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Greg. Great seeing you.